The best way to actually understand is that when you don't have diverse representation, the decision you make actually just fails to include, right? So it's never that anyone made an intentional decision to say we will exclude this segment of people, but by default, that's actually just what happens. If you look at Airbnb, right, Uber, right, Netflix, they were not created by people from that industry. Airbnb was not created by someone in hospitality, right? We actually have that outsider advantage when you work with people, bringing people with very different ways of approaching things. Never say, I cannot do something. Always add the word yet to the end of your、mm. sentence. I don't know、mm. yet. I haven't done that yet. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Make It Happen Show. I'm Tim Morris, the CEO at The Entourage. And today I'm joined by Sarah Liu, the founder and managing director of The Dream Collective. The Dream Collective focuses on empowering female leaders. It's all about encouraging diversity in the workplace. So, in this episode, we talk about how Sarah is helping entrepreneurial and big technology companies to encourage diversity amongst their workforce. We also cover the common misconceptions. I certainly learned a lot of things as we went through. And of course, we talked about how Sarah herself has had to encourage diversity in her own business as it's grown across four countries. It's a really interesting conversation. It opened my eyes to a lot of areas that I hadn't thought about before. And so I know you're going to learn a lot as well. Let's get into it. Sarah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I'm doing great. Sunny day, Sydney, can't complain. <laughs> to kick us off, I mean, you started the Dream Collective as a, as a passion project、uh, in your living room.、Uh, and, but since then, you, you've now helped more than 7,000 women in business. How have you made all of that happen? Yeah. So, the Dream Collective now, today, who we are is really a global diversity and inclusion consul- consultancy. And we actually operate globally now、uh, with operations across Sydney,、uh, Singapore, Tokyo, and Shanghai. But you're absolutely right. It started you know, a few years ago in 2016. We officially established the business.、Um, yeah, starting as a personal passion project because I. Come from a background in corporate,、um, specializing in marketing and branding, was I suppose confronted by the lack of development opportunities, particularly for the mid career stage women. And so、yeah. I looked around the market and didn't actually find anything that I felt really solved the problem. So decided to take it up upon myself and create the Dream Collective. So, how we operate today is that we're very much B2B and we work with our leading organizations, particularly technology companies these days,、uh, to help them solve three problems, which is to attract, retain, or advance female talent. And specifically, you mentioned that you didn't see much for the, for the mid level、uh, women coming through, because there are, I think, once you get to senior level, once you get up to a, a very senior level, there probably are quite a few. Um, development programs, or you get, you get earmarked as being someone as a future leader of the business.、Um, but, and that mid level piece, is that particularly where you see there's not enough being done? Exactly. So you're absolutely right in the sense that a lot of the development and investment happens at that top tier, right? The you know, chief executive women, you know, the more senior level women on boards. But quite frankly, by the time you get there, it's too late because research、um, tells us that the biggest drop off actually happens in that mid career stage, right? So, if we really want to see the dull 
change, shift, and the landscape, you know, being actually turned around, we really need to start much earlier and actually address that mid-career um, talent pipeline. So that's actually exactly uh, where we sort of um, sort of work best, and that's what we call our zone of genius. Yeah, yeah, oh, great. I love that term, zone of genius. Um, and so to get really specific in your context, like a large technology business, you know, I know you've done work with like Google and those types of businesses. Is it someone who would be, you know, five years into her career and start to make some progression, or is it even earlier? What's that? Where does that zone of genius start? Yeah, great question. Usually, we'll be looking at about uh, five to about twelve years of professional experiences. Um, and I might add that uh, because today, about seventy-eight percent of our business is actually international. Right, and only about twenty five percent comes from uh, Australia. So, also the career level and the progression, the rate of progression is actually quite different between countries. So, for example, when we say like a mid career female talent in Japan, it might be about like fifteen, sixteen years, right? Whereas、mm-hmm. the same level in Australia, you might be able to get there,、um, you know, in about seven or eight years. Yeah, that's very interesting because、uh, the amount of time you spend at work is different. Uh, in every country, no matter whether you're male or female, like we have different career paths, but I imagine that also becomes much more different depending on how long women stay in the workforce in different countries,、uh, how early they join the workforce.、Um, I suppose, you, and then you get into like, on average, how many kids do they have?、Uh, you're in a country like Australia, which is the number of children that families have is shrinking,、um, or you're in a country where it's growing.、Um, yeah, there's all these different. Differences that, as you now start to expand, you've got to start to account for. That would be very, very interesting. How do you keep up with it all? Yeah,、um, I think because we actually operate so intimately on the ground, we know that, right? So it's not necessary that we, do, you know, keep up with the research, etc. We, in fact, very often identify the trend before it's. Even established to be a trend, you know.、Um, so, for example, like we see a lot of mid-female talent drop off, and that actually is consistent across the board anywhere you go. People's assumption automatically is lifestyle choices. You know,、uh, women go off to you know have children and then reprioritize, and therefore you know don't actually return to work in the same capacity as before. We've actually long before any research has been done. Realize and notice and picked up the fact that it's actually not the case, right? Women are actually just as ambitious, sometimes if not more, after that because they feel that you know it's a different new chapter they want to actually get ahead. And so research later on actually uncovered that you know the top three key drivers that prevents women from advancing further in in, in the corporate world is actually nothing to do with lifestyle choices at all. It's actually one lack of role models. Two is the culture, right? They don't see themselves fitting in, and the third one is lack of direct manager support. So my CEO might come out and say, "There's all great things, make a fantastic announcement," but that's not my day-to-day reality translated by my direct manager. So a lot of those things, you know, we because we work so intimately with the different organizations, you know, and the women, we actually know those, right? Even before.、Um, I suppose the trend were solidified, and we were actually able to advise our clients way before that. And as a result of that, what we do, a lot of the focuses and the programs we run, or the employee branding initiatives, is focused around how to change that corporate culture. How do we actually work with men? You know, developing male ally 
programs, right? How do we help、uh, companies to remove biases when it comes to their hiring process, rather than like fix the women in terms of like trying to like target、um, support for them? Because a lot of times we're then not solving the right problem. So it may well be that.、Um... That a, a woman who's coming up in business ultimately decides not to pursue, stay in that business, and the natural assumption is to go, oh, she made a lifestyle choice not to be there. But in reality, actually, she might have ended up making that choice because she didn't feel like she fit in, didn't feel like she had enough role model, didn't have enough support, and so that was kind of the default choice. It's totally looking at it from the other angle. Yeah, I can totally see that. So, what are some things that a business can do? Um, to provide better role models, to speak to their female employees better, what are the key strategies they can use? So we have、um, what we call like a four pillar framework、um, that really practically helps company look at addressing the systems, right, and addressing the process. So we get a lot of clients who ask us,、um, yeah, so like is quota the right thing to do? You know, is it actually about implementing quota? And we say that. Quota or not like a number, the percentage of women leadership is an outcome that you're trying to get to. By having the right process, that outcome will come, right? So、yeah. we actually help them walk through a process, looking at your hiring practice. So, for example, who crafts up your job ads, right? The words, the terminology that's used, is that actually excluding diverse talent? We help them look at the actual, for example, the actual interview process. Who sits on the interview panel? Who actually makes those decisions? Because yeah, and you know, I think we've just had countless stories where you know, you know, like a, a, a this is like hugely stereotypical. I acknowledge that, <laughs> but you know, it's actually so common that we see, oh, you know, um, guys, you know, we're in the same like rugby league, you know, with someone else. You know, caught wind of this career opportunity, got referred in, had a great forty-five minute chat about rugby at the interview, and then the last fifteen minutes he was offered the job, right? And it's actually not uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> but but the examples that you gave before, I can immediately relate.、Uh, like writing job ads, like I don't, I don't write job ads with an eye for diversity as I think about it. Like I write them for the kind of person I think will be the best fit for that, but that's my view of that. And then I interview people. I interview people all the time. We're actually hiring quite a few roles at the moment. We're always hiring quite a few roles. But I interview in my style. I don't tailor my style for diversity. And so straight with those first two examples you give, the first time I've ever really thought about, it, I go, okay, I I can definitely see how the way I approach things because I think it's right might not be the best thing for a diverse talent pool. Mm, exactly, and I think the thing is, it's not to necessarily pit people like you know, like men against women, and like you know, anything about that. But it's actually that we need to understand that inherently, every single person has unconscious bias, and one thing that actually drives、uh, our decision making process is affinity bias. People tend to like, relate to, and actually find people who are similar to us trustworthy. Right. So, for example,、um, in the interview process, you know, we immediately build rapport with people that are similar to us, right? And sometimes <laughs> overlook、um, the benefits diverse talent can bring in. And a practical example when it comes to job ad, even you know, writing. So, Seek was actually looking to increase their female、um, applicant intake for one of their graduate tech programs, and they were struggling to actually get female to increase the number of female applicant. By removing one line 
from the job ad, they increase the percentage of female applicant by 80%. It wasn't like you must be a male. No. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, it was must have coding experience. Ah, gotcha. It's really interesting because by saying must, right? Already, a lot of times diverse talent, particularly women, actually opt out, right? Self deselect from that process. Because research also tells us that, you know, women are only confident applying for a job when they fulfill about 80 to 100%. Of the job uh, requirement, uh, when that's not necessarily the case for men, and then so also when you say things like coding experience, what is coding experience? Four years being like dedicated to coding is coding experience, or I've spent two days in a coding camp. Like, how do you define that, right? So a lot of times, what we very unconscious the unconscious decision that we make. Has a direct impact to the talent that we attract. So, using that specific example, uh, so in that situation, they deleted the line, but but a way, a really tangible way, you could make a line like that more um, open and appealing would be something not quite so harsh or firm, like maybe not must have, but like you know, nice to have or preferable or seen positively, and then maybe a little bit more of an example of what kind of coding experience you're looking for. Yeah, because I can totally, guys are, particularly if you're in, particularly when you get to leadership roles and more senior roles, um, that is where the slight sense of bravado and schutzbar and I can do that comes in with guys, whether they've got the experience to do it or not. Um, and so yeah, you can see how, you can see how they wouldn't be deterred by something like that, even if they didn't quite have it. Um, so we've talked about, so that's, like language you use in hiring, how you interview people. Um, so what, what are the next steps to really ensuring a more inclusive sort of recruitment um, and then retention strategy? Yeah, so you look at, at training and advancement and ways of working as well. So uh, training is actually who gets trained up in your organization and what kind of training are you providing them with? So for example, even just in this conversation, you have now become a bit more aware in terms of the language you will use um, in both the hiring process and the interview process. So does anyone who have decision-making power when it comes to hiring and recruitment in your organization, have they actually gone through trainings like this, right? Have they actually, um, does everybody in the organization have the same kind of vocabulary and understanding around unconscious bias, the right behavior, um, and they're almost like the, the right standard of operation, right? So you create consistency. So that's like training. But then also what we do as well is very much looking at how people get promoted, right? So in terms of like performance, um, what we call performance uh, evaluation bias as well, is that, you know, women tend to be evaluated based on past performance alone, whereas men are more likely to be evaluated based on future potential. So that's really interesting because when you've got two candidates who comes to apply for this role, both of them, this men and women, like that's a Amy and Andy, maybe both, neither of them have had a similar experiences operating in this capacity. But the inherent unconscious bias, and this can happen to anyone, men and women, is that we tend to actually see the potential in Andy, but tend to judge Amy more harshly because she didn't have the experience. And that consequently leads to decision-making process when it comes to promotion and then ways of working which is flexibility as well um, so that's actually making sure that we have a 
diverse ways of working for not just people with caring responsibilities, but people with entrepreneurial pursuit, right? Um, people with um, you know different uh, passion and skill sets,、um, and simply. Prefers to work in a different way. How are you attracting talent、um, that actually can thrive in your organization? Well, that'll be one of the interesting、um, consequences or legacies of the whole COVID situation, because on the one hand, I've heard that、um, COVID and the changes in working has disproportionately negatively affected female workers, but on the other hand, hopefully longer term flexibility is a bit more here to stay. And different ways of working here to stay. So there's kind of so how has it affected female workers in your eyes, given that you've got two potentially competing outcomes there.、Mm. Well, great question. The first thing I'll address is how has COVID impact women generally.、Um, the short answer is quite drastically. And very negatively, so women are actually losing their jobs at one point eight percent, are times higher than men. So women、mm-hmm. actually lost their job at a higher rate and a faster rate than men, and that predominantly because of、um, the types of work they engage in. So, for example, part-time contract casual work, and also. Combined on top of that, the industry that's more、um, heavily impacted and hit. Are the personal care, hospitality, you know, tourism, services, etc. Yeah, yeah. That's an impact, and then combined by, you know, in, in terms of, and this is a direct example of why lack of female representations in both private and public sector has a direct impact to society and the policies that we create. If you look at the job keeper, for example, policy. All the women that actually was on mat leave last year, but actually decided to return to work this year, okay, or start their business, etc., were actually not entitled to any of those benefits. Ah,、oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they didn't、yeah. have the salary the year before to compare against. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm sure that wasn't a、um, a discreet decision to exclude them. It was just a failure to account for that situation. Exactly. So a lot of times when we talk about diversity inclusion, we're not people say, "Oh, you know, everyone's equal and all of that." And I said, "You know what? Like, the 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 best way to actually understand is that when you don't have diverse representation, the decision you make actually just fails to include, right? So it's never that anyone made an intentional decision to say we will exclude this segment of people, but by default, that's actually just what happens, right? So. If, for example, let's say people on the autistic、um, spectrum, right? They actually cannot fit into our normal interview process, right? Because they can't actually interact on the phone properly,、um, and they very much thrive in a different style of communication. But we are actually because the way in any interview process is designed that it relies on human to human. Verbal communication. We are actually deselecting by default. We are not including this segment. But for example, Microsoft actually found that people on the autistic spectrum were actually their most effective、uh, problem solvers, you know,、um, and、uh, engineers because they are so focused and they are their analytical skills is next level. If you were going to say we want to very specifically want to attract more of these types of employees, you're going to have to change the whole way that you recruit them and onboard them and engage them. And、um, so yeah, I totally see how that、um, the parallels there. 
Hi everyone, I just wanted to jump in here to let you know if you're enjoying this episode, it doesn't need to stop here. We've taken this episode plus all the other episodes and also video footage from the interviews and made it available for free. There's also a bunch of fantastic guides, tools and resources you can use to grow your business. To grab those tools, just go to www.the-entourage.com forward slash podcast. Right, let's get back into the show. I mean, your business itself is growing. Uh, to be across four four countries, and, and you, you, I'm sure you do projects outside those countries as well. Um, how has the concept of diversity in your workforce evolved as your business has grown, and and what pr- what practices have you been able to bring in from the bigger businesses, and which ones can you not quite make work yet? For especially some like entrepreneurs, right? In that early stage, you tend to very much attract people who are just like you. Right, or um, you recruit from people that you know that you have worked with that you know. So, a lot of times, if you I reflect on my own personal experiences in the early stage of the business, everyone was like me, right? Passionate about the same thing, come from the same background, similar age group, similar lifestyle. Like that's it. And as a, a lot of times, a founder-led business, you're actually more at risk in creating a very homogenous organization. So. And we, it used to be like all women, right? Um, and like no children. Like that was like, you know, like under the age of like 36, like that was <laughs> everyone. Footloose, fancy free, don't have to worry about it. I've got two kids now as well. And life it definitely changes very rapidly when that, when that happens, for the better in many ways. Yeah, exactly. And so it used to be so homogenous. And what happened was that when we feel that we would simply not actually appealing to different client base right? For example, if you have a group of extroverts, right? When a client or when a particular customer segment is more on the introvert, right? Um, they need more time to process. They're not necessarily in your face. They, they really don't respond to your style. And sometimes in the meeting or in a pitch, it just like doesn't actually resonate, right? And so we started really quite homogenous because it was organic. And we got to understand that organic doesn't get you diversity diversity you need to be intentional and that's how you get diversity because if we're just all organic that's actually where we would just land at exactly the same place amongst the same people our sort of inherent desire to be surrounded by people like us would just take over I mean, you wouldn't even be aware of it it's just yeah, homogenous groups that's what we gravitate towards the other funny thing in uh, entrepreneurial businesses is um yeah absolutely early stage you see it's all the same kinds of people um also they tend to be the same types of people and there's all that we call them visionary uh ideas people go-getters um whereas and they don't have the people that will actually make the rubber hit the ground and get the work done. 100%. So that's actually when we think about diversity, you actually need people who actually brings diverse skill set, style, thinking and preferences, um, and different experiences and exposure as well. Because when it comes to problem solving, it's so much about the entrepreneurial world is about problem solving. You actually need innovation. You need different ways of solving a problem and diversity gets you that. And this is something that we call what we call like the outsider advantage. If you look at Airbnb, right, Uber, right, Netflix, they were not created by people from that industry. Airbnb was not created by someone in hospitality, right? 
we actually have that outsider advantage when you work with people, bringing people with very different ways of approaching things. So in the beginning, we found that we were actually, so we were just a team of just like young women, right? And then we realized that that was a problem. And that meant that we weren't probably innovating as well as we could be we were all basically coming in the brainstorm we were all coming up with the same solution (laughs) that's my idea yeah um and there wasn't a lot of healthy disagreement because once again same thinking preference and we were continuously attracting the same client data the same client base because we weren't able to appeal to people who are too different to us um and what we found was that we were actually missing out on talent right a lot of the so probably the older more mature um talent didn't really want to join the team because they feel like the culture was probably too different and not inclusive enough so and once again it's that expectation right client society expectation they go well you know, you don't actually do what you preach. So now, you know, we became very intentional in the talent we bring on board, men in particularly, right? So the kind of men we speak to, we attract, and then therefore we were able to actually create, you know, um, products like male ally training, inclusive leadership, where that actually helped bring that diversity of thoughts mm. into our product suite. Yeah, yeah, great journey. There's a, there's an amusing irony there that you're, you're like teaching these big businesses how, how to um, speak better to women candidates, make it more appealing. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, we've got to figure out how to do the opposite. Well, well done on, on that journey. And so, I mean, what have been the major milestones for like in your business lately? What, what are the things that you've achieved that you're most proud of even this is past year? Well, it's been actually an absolutely phenomenal year for us. Um, we were actually just uh, going through a bit of a, the year that was list and putting that together. So um, even though that when COVID hit, we were actually uh, down in terms of revenue. So we actually paused all sales and marketing activity for three months because we realized that client was not in the headspace, right, of driving diversity and inclusion and we need to meet our clients where they are, not continue pushing our agenda. And as a result of that, we actually created this new program called She Pivots, which was completely free. So we noticed that, you know, women, a lot of high caliber women were losing their jobs, right? Um, but then we see a lot of our technology clients are still hiring at a really rapid pace. So we decided to actually just connect the two of them. So we create this free online program that help women transition into different career pathways. And after they complete the program, actually feed them through to our clients who are hiring. And as a result, we've actually helped place an extraordinary number of women into organizations like Datacom, AWS, you know, you know, etc. And yeah. that was incredible value adding thing, which has meant not only we maintained relevance, even though we were actually not actually selling. Our website traffic went up by five, more than 500% uh, in terms compared to pre-COVID. Wow. Yes, yeah. Uh, brand awareness, brand affinity, um, our share of voice in the market. And what that meant has that from the second half of this year, our revenue is actually now about 28% up on last year. Wow, well done. That's, that's yeah, navigated the um, shifting sands very nicely. And that's one of the things I love about talking to so many entrepreneurs, you know, whether it's on this show or in our community, um, is there are just so many examples of people who have 
have really paid attention to what's going on. Like it was a challenging year for everyone. I think even the even the businesses that have had a really good growth journey would say it was challenging. It's a challenging year for everyone. Those that have really observed what's going on, as you did, you know, identify. Okay, we've got to change what we're doing. Here's a great opportunity. Um, I think that pairing up between like uh, you know exceptional females from one industry into another industry where there's a lot of demand is a great idea. So those that have said, let's read what's happening, come up with some new ideas, and then go hard on those have come out of the end of the year in really good shape. Uh, and you're a, you're a great example of that, so well done. What are some of the lessons that you learned throughout that whole journey? Where do I even start, right? <laughs> I think um, a couple of things is one, you really gotta sometimes go back to the drawing board and have a think about where you can add value. And I think it's actually about solving a problem and adding value. And I know in the startup world, amongst entrepreneurs, like that is like a broken record, right? Like people say that all the time. But really, I think if you can start with adding value, all the rest will come. So for example, we thought, you know what? We're not a recruitment agency, but where we can really add value is that we've got all these incredible women, right? On our database who are looking for a job and our clients are hiring. So the value we can add here is to be that bridge. Yeah. Commercials and all of that, we're just like, you know what? We're just adding value right now. Okay. I think everyone can do with a bit of help at this juncture. So we did that. And guess what? That created a new commercial revenue model because clients are now saying, wow, the talent that you have is so incredibly high caliber. They actually want to talk about expanding that and scaling that. So the biggest lesson I think is always go back to where you can add value and the rest will fall into place. And the second thing is, once again, like don't let a crisis go to waste, right? And think about how we can build back better. I hear a lot people say, oh, when we go back to normal or when we go back to pre-COVID, like that's an immediately an alarm bell for me, right? It's just like, you know, when, uh, you know, like, it, like when an earthquake hits, a building collapses, when they build back, they don't go, hey, that's build back to the building that collapsed. They always build back better. That's a great um, way to look at it. It's certainly something that we've um, we've already planned out our entire year next year in, in our programs and how we run our coaching and our training. And yeah, it's exactly that. We've taken we've taken the best bits of like pre-COVID, but then we've also taken all the best bits of how we've learned how to deliver differently and how to engage with people around Australia and the world. And yeah, you, we're building back better. I haven't used that term, but I'm gonna I'm absolutely stealing with pride uh, from now. I've got a couple more questions here uh, that I actually haven't read through and, and of course you have not read through. We've got five questions here. We, we go rapid fire through these in about a, a minute-ish. Uh, nothing too serious. You ready to make it happen? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, being a global business, what is one positive workplace cultural trait you think Aussies could adopt from Japan or China? Wow, this is a great question. I think honor and respect. You know, in people in places like uh, China um, and Japan, it's you know I think the flip side is a little bit more hierarchical, but just the the honor and the respect, and they take their um, job so seriously. They respect their own job, and I'll share a story that's actually transformed how I view work. So. I went to Japan, right? Like one of the first time actually I went to Japan, um, I was actually in the toilet in the airport. And then the cleaners, this like an old grand, Japanese grandma, she was like cleaning the toilet so diligently that I'm like, wow, she's really taking her job like very seriously. And then I asked her like, 
why are you like so diligent and so like you know serious about it? And she says, you know what? I'm not just cleaning a toilet. I'm actually creating the first impression of Japan for people. This is the airport. This is the first、yeah. encounter they will have with Japan. So my job is so important. And you know what? I was floored. That's a, that's an amazing response from her, and I, that yeah, phenomenal outlook on you know what could be seen as a fairly menial task, but if you see it that way, it's actually huge. It's, it's representing your country. Yeah, and I see Aussie culture very much sort of the, more the Western culture is quite to the reverse. It's like a lot of times, a lot of things are below me. A lot of things like you know, I'm just doing it because I have to. You know, my job is to like just get out of here as early as I can. Like generalization, but that's actually more、yeah. common. I think if we can actually bring the same honor and respect to feel that, hey, you know what, work is a privilege. I think、yeah. that will transform the way we work. Phenomenal answer. All right, question number two, which I don't think we're going to go quite so deep on with this one, because it is: Do you have any irrational phobias? Ah,、oh, a lot. Cleaning my house. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a phobia of cleaning your house. Wondered what you'll find. I outsource everything, so I think、yep. being an entrepreneur as well, like being a business owner, you got to know what、yep. drains your energy and what you have a、yep. phobia of. Like I hate cleaning; like it literally gives me like it raises my blood pressure. So I just outsource it. I can see there's actually like a, like a, like a, a physical angst that's going on right now.、Um, question number three:、uh, What does a growth mindset mean to you? Love it. It practically means. Never say I cannot do something. Always add the word yet to the end of your、mm. sentence. I don't know、mm. yet. I haven't done that yet. And looping back to sort of how how women see you know their experience and whether it matches up to the job that they're moving into, even though they just add that on that I I haven't got four years of coding experience yet,、uh, but I will in the future. Fantastic.、Uh, question number four: What has been your favorite travel destination so far? Pakistan. Oh, great! I've not been to Pakistan. Why did you love it so much? So I facilitated.、Uh, we rolled out、uh, a program for Google in Pakistan.、Um, I think when we stepped into Pakistan, there's actually because of the media portrayal, there's actually a lot of misperceptions, you know, around what Pakistan or a place like you know in South Asia, what that is and what it is not. There's that nervousness as you get into it, right? But actually, once you go in there, like the people were the most harmonious, friendly. Inclusive, you know,、um, and just that sense of hospitality is nothing like the hospitality, like the hospitality that media portrays. So, exposure just expands your mindset. Fantastic. And uh, final, uh, final question before we have some、uh, parting comments.、Uh, I think we, we've covered a bit of this, but to really kind of crystallize down onto one key strategy:、uh, if a business owner wanted more female leaders in their business. What's the one key thing they need to do to make it happen? Get a female leader in the business. By having female representation, actually not just one, having female, just promote more female or include more female in your decision making process first. Making sure once you have representation in there, the decisions being made, right, the approach being taken will fall into place. So the first and the easiest thing is whenever you. A decision is being made, and we advise our clients around that as well, right? Okay, you might not get to fifty-fifty female leadership representation just yet, but make sure every single meeting you have are attended by thirty percent female. Guess what? The decision will be more inclusive as a result. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the key things I've taken away from this is um, almost a version of like, you don't know what you don't know, or you can't consider what's not important to you. And so, yeah, if you, if you have no female leaders in the business, then of course, there's gonna be a whole bunch of considerations that aren't taken into account. Um, but then, yeah, if you don't have a good representation in every decision-making meeting or, or group, then you're not gonna consider everyone's um, requirements. Awesome, so final, um, final kind of question from me is, what are you most looking forward to? What's on the horizon that has you really excited? Travel. <laughs> where do you want to be? Uh, where do you want to be going? Uh, yeah, probably Japan first because that's our big, one of our biggest market, and I really just miss it. That's really like a second home for me. Pre-COVID, I was on an international flight on average every four days, and so it's been a just a drastic change for me. Um, and travel is very much in my DNA, so that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Fantastic, Sarah. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think that has actually been really eye-opening for me. There's a lot of things that I've never thought about before. Uh, and then I'll, I'll definitely kind of think a bit differently, particularly as we go through that recruitment and progression uh, pathways in our own business. And I think there's a lot of great stuff for our listeners. So thank you very much for coming and spending the time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Make It Happen Show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And it doesn't need to end there. We've actually gone and grabbed a whole bunch of extra resources for you. Behind the scenes footage, videos from this and all the other episodes, as well as show notes that you can grab for free. Just head along to www.the-entourage.com slash podcast and you can grab all those extra resources. Thanks for tuning in and I cannot wait to introduce you to our next guest on the next episode.